Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic violence. I'm pre-recording this show, so I cannot accept any call-ins tonight. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. Let me spell that out for you. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to give a shout-out tonight to my friend Trevor in Tokerville, Utah. He's helping me put this together because I uploaded it on a Zoom, and um, it doesn't take Zoom. So we're uh, putting it into an MP3 for you tonight. I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night now at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central Time. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. I would like to introduce you to my friend Adele. I cannot pronounce her last name. She's from New Zealand. A solo mother of a young son. That's how they would rephrase that in New Zealand. She's the CEO, founder of two businesses, Seacom and Talk Medicine. She is resilient, courageous, with a lot of tenacity, having endured 23 years of epilepsy while also experiencing abuse and violence during her childhood and teenage years. She has been an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for her whole life. And she is going to talk to us tonight. Let's welcome Adele. Hi, Adele. Um, just want to ask you a little bit about um, your experiences first before we start. But I want to, you know, focus mostly on the healing things that you have tried. But um, I want to start everybody off on uh, where you're coming from from the beginning. So, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences as a child and um, enduring abuse? Kia ora koutou, as you can hear, I am from New Zealand, I'm New Zealand Māori, and uh, yes, uh, I uh, unfortunately have to say that abuse is common amongst our Māori culture here on this side of the world, the South Pacific. Uh, Unfortunately, our Māori culture have the highest statistics of domestic violence, abuse, unemployment, and a lot of things, and there's a lot of reasons to that, but in terms of myself, um, I, I've also, I have a lot of uh, core beliefs and values. Part of it is my culture, but it is also my, uh, my own religious background. I've always been an ambitious person since I was a girl. I've always been uh, like even a high achiever when I was young, always goal-oriented, setting goals when I was a child and all. Um, however, what I've learned that what you plan in life versus what happens in life could always be different. Uh, but one of the most important things I learned to do is follow your heart for everything. And, and so that's how I've been able to establish two of my own businesses. I'm the CEO founder for CECOM, short for C Communication, that focuses on sign language projects, uh, even digital sign language projects. So we also work with the deaf community and other communities. But at the same time, I've also uh, just recently set up a business called Talk Medicine, which is a lot overall about overcoming traumas and abuse. So that's my brief, brief background as such. Um, Great. Mm-hmm. So share a little bit about um, when you were a child and your experiences 
um, with domestic violence? Because it was uh, familial, right? It was in the family? Uh, yes, that is true. Unfortunately, as we know with abuse, all types of abuse, most abuse happens uh, with people that are either family members or people that you already know. That is unfortunately true. And um, in terms of statistics in New Zealand, uh, even for jail, 50% uh, of women in jail are Māori, approximately. Research shows that also approximately 60%, oh, sorry, that's men, sorry, 50%. 60% of uh, women in jail are Māori and 70% of youth. Uh, Māori as well and you know I share that with with love um, you know being Māori myself and so I know not the facts and figures about it but a lot of uh, sometimes we have to go back to not just what has happened in terms of violence but also why we go back to the why and so what I learned unfortunately from a lot of personal experience of being abused myself when I was a child and especially in my teens this was after my parents had divorced I was, I was brought up in a church family, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, little did I find out until later on in life that my, my father, who has already passed away, he had been abused as a child himself. And so there was a lot of uh, delayed traumas that happened for him when he became an adult later on in life. And that's what I even call unfinished business. And so therefore it came out in other ways, like how you treat family members, even if you subconsciously don't know that you're doing it. Um, yeah, and it just that's what I mean by intergenerational traumas, is that because you were raised being violent, you were raised being abusive, it's like a, a subconscious mind, it's like a normal thing to do. But unfortunately, when it reached my life, of uh, when my parents had broken up, I had a lot of extended family bring in a whole lot of gang life, violence, drapes, alcohol, smoking, you name it. What I used to think was a worldly outside activities, outside of my home, I came to learn that as a child still in my early teens, I didn't have a control of passively smoking and drapes. I didn't have control of, uh, you know, cigarettes and, and, you know, smashed bottles and alcohol and, and that type of Thing around me and so I remember even when I was about 13 having to walk around the house every day with with my head and my t-shirts and my, and my tops all the time and but but just bear in mind that passive smoking or passive you know or even witnessing traumas can be just as harmful as actually direct violence or abuse itself so even what I remember is even just seeing my mother being beaten up daily um, Black eyes, um, sometimes blood experiences, um, not just with my mother, but other family members too. That was traumatizing in itself. Of course, unfortunately, uh, it directly um, happened with me. But um, what I learned, uh, at, first of all, I had briefly, I almost got sexually abused by someone in my someone close. However, I distracted him during the experience, and I told him to go to the bathroom I was just trying to think of anything quickly during that night to try and lead him away and so while he went and did what he had to do I quickly escaped and I, I ran outside and hid in a and hid in a van all night and the next day I was still just processing what had just happened and even that week I will tell you the truth that I tried to take my life with scissors 
cutting my wrist, my left wrist, uh, with a pair of scissors. Because when you're a teenager, you just—it's hard to explain, but it's just accepting that what just really happened. At first, when I felt like, uh, you know, a, a week later, a month later, I felt like, well, he didn't fully do it, so it must have been no big deal. I'll just say, but with it can shake a person emotionally mentally even your social well-being can be affected and this is what i mean many times people who are victims as many of us are called that we tend to self-sabotage we tend to self-blame something that wasn't rightfully our fault in the first place but with even the psychological emotional and verbal abuse that comes along with physical and sexual abuse Sometimes I'll just say it's not just one package of just one type of abuse only. Many times it's mixed everything. And so even after I went through those, I'll say, big experiences of abuse, even everyday talk like emotional abuse of being told, you're making it up, you're a liar, you know, you know, that's don't you dare tell anyone, just threats, threats and manipulation. Because when you're young, you don't know what it is. You just do as you're told when, you know, all adults are perfect and you're a kid that's just learning. But you come to learn fast uh, later on in life that no one is perfect in life. However, that does not give anyone the right to, for unwanted touching in any way, whether it be words, whether it be actions, whether it be any type of experience that makes you feel uncomfortable and more like, as we know, fear. Fear. And so that's what, what I, I'll have to say from experience that started to take over my life. One thing, though, that I promised when I was 14, I promised that a lot of these abuse cycles are stopping at me. And I came to learn that from not just home experiences, but even every day at school. Um, unfortunately, here in New Zealand, there's like there, there was this expectation that Māori girls needed to drop out of school and fall pregnant uh, when you're young. It's like this because a lot of other Māori girls have done that in the past. It's like a norm. But being the goal-oriented, career-minded, ambitious type person that I was in my childhood years. Uh -huh. I knew that that wasn't me just because other people wanted that and this is where peer pressure comes in just because they think that's the stereotypal stigma of how even our race Māori girls should be doesn't mean to say I have to do it and no question about it even just as a teenager and, and even going through the motion of all these challenges in life I really I came to learn that many times we have to use our heart as our brain we can get, I'll just say, quiet, go through brain fog, and we can get messed up psychologically with what happened to us emotionally or even sexually, physically, violence, what I was witnessing every day. And, and I, was, I won't deny I was neglected of a lot of my childhood. <coughs> um, I myself, I'm, the one, I'm one of eight children, but witnessing such things like mother, my, my, my mother being beaten up um, every day, black eyes every day. Uh, also having one of my uh, stepbrothers, he hung himself to suicide and witness, I, witnessing that, uh, he hung himself in the shed when I was 14. And so that's trauma in itself. Yeah. Even also having a lot of gang outside gang members coming to and fro and bringing in some, some, some drugs and me the next morning because I never, I've never drank, I've never smoked, 
that was not me. And I was considered the weird one in the family, as we sometimes call it, the black sheep of the family. And I felt different for being different. But I, as I learned over time that I was just being me and I was following my own heart for it all. Uh, but this is what I mean by different. I'm the only one that finished school up until high school and carried on to get d degrees. Now that so wasn't easy because I had to move around a lot. That's part of, I'll say, disrupted families with that um, uh, unsettled lives, having to, wow. getting kicked out of homes or ha being homeless, um, yeah, and all. And so all together, I myself, and I'm not speaking on behalf of other siblings, because it varied for all of us, because we all got scattered around, I'll say. But I myself all together went to 11 schools. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for anyone, because psychologically and emotionally, that can affect you big time. It like it was like psychologically it became normal. Like I I'm moving around, you mean? Moving around, yes. Mm -hmm. It was like normal that everyone did it. But I came to learn later on in life that it's not normal. Yes, people move for their own good reasons, but to get put into school for three months, then to be pulled out again, and put into another for a few months and pulled out again. And even with a lot of my own siblings, brothers and sisters, they ended up with school anyway. In fact, some of my siblings, and this is to my stepfather, my extended family, that um, they never ever went to school. Now, here in New Zealand, it's called preschool or, um, or kindy life. Um, they didn't experience that life, even primary school, uh, even what we call intermediate or high school um, here in New Zealand. They didn't experience any schooling at all. Now, that is, I'll say, trauma in itself for them, but I can't on behalf of them. I can only, even uh, being a sibling or, or a family member of, I'll just say, neglected siblings. And that's kind of like a grey um, area, neglect, because there's yeah. no, for example, no black eye to prove it. Right. No, it doesn't prove, for example, for police to prove it. But no question about it, with me, even when I was um, in my early teens, I was having to raise those siblings myself making their lunches every day and walking them to school and doing their homework with them, etc. while other family members were out getting drunk and all. So neglect was a big thing. And, and I didn't realise that what neglect was because all I wanted to do was be normal, whatever that means. I just wanted to be a, a teenager. I just right. wanted to be a kid, like other experiences. And you don't really know that when you're forced into adulthood, I'll just say, having to be a parent when you're only a kid, that is abuse or neglect in itself because how to say fast forward looking back at it i've always been an extremely busy person hard-working person because psychologically that's what how i was brought up and all so much that i've even been questioned to slow down to, to be kind to myself i'm very hard on myself and i don't even know what that means because according to me that's how i was raised right yeah, and so therefore, the, it, it uh, experiences, you know, during your childhood years and teenage life can affect you for the rest of your life until um, you actually do something about it. Now, I know that even on a, through my own faith, I know that all things are possible. Um, I have not put, I brought it up that um, also during around the same time that my parents broke up that I started having epilepsy seizures. Oh. Yeah, and so epilepsy... Now, how old were you when your parents broke up? I was uh, 11 when that happened. 11. And, yes, and I started having uh, seizures when I was about 12. 12, uh, 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say that in ways it was like a hidden hidden security blanket for me. And this is what I mean, is that I was so focused on worrying about, you know, dealing with anxiety challenges, worrying about when I'll have a seizure at school. Because um, some of my seizures varied from um, what used to be called grand mal focal seizures, like shaking on the ground, um, to absent seizures of like daydreaming type mode, to and other experiences. And so many times I was anxious about when I would be having seizures that I didn't have time to grieve what I was experiencing with abuse. Right. Yeah, and so, and so in ways it was like a hidden experience, and it was during that time in my early teens that, and I didn't even know this happened, but I had to disconnect myself emotionally. To right. I'm sure that sounds familiar to a lot of people who've been through abuse in any sort, is that sometimes we can't change what happens to us externally, like the violence, like abuse, and that's really unfortunate. Because I see that from experience, it's not easy to get out of those experiences, those relationships. However, um, so that's why a lot of us have to emotionally disconnect in order to protect ourselves in ways we even call it like putting up a wall so that we can't, so that we can, I'll just say, numb the pains of what we're going through emotionally, especially emotionally. And I know there's a lot of talk and research about how emotional abuse is, is even more harmful than any other, is the most harmful type of abuse and all. And so, and, and I won't deny that too, because apart from once again, the physical experiences, I was just traumatized about how I was emotionally left anxious, worrying about when I was going home every night after school, worrying about not having any food in the cupboards, worrying about when my next seizure would happen or else when even just looking at him sometimes I'd get hit and or and different family members and even just worrying about what just happened to my stepbrother who committed suicide mm. so many illusional thoughts I'll just say which yes a lot of them were real real experiences but it just caused me a lot to overthink a lot of things. And even with my epilepsy challenges, I found it hard to remember things and remember things well, which affected my, my education at school. When I was an academic kid, when I was uh, young, a lot of my A grades really dropped big time and all. And so, and of course, a lot of it is included self-sabotage, blaming me for not studying enough. And even I've had a lot of discrimination and really a lot of lack of understanding of awareness of a lot of people who are like outsiders who like see you only at school or at, at work. They think that you're not trying hard enough. Right. But they, they only learn the surface of what's going on. And just that's again goes back to that saying of don't judge a book by its cover. If I, if I flip this all around, though, what are some of the positives that I've learned from this experience? No question about it. Um, I liken life into a seizure, that we all have downs in life, but no question about it. You know, we all have ups in life as well. I, physically, I never stayed on the ground when I had a seizure. And so that's what I liken to life is that we all have to learn to get back up again, to have tenacity, to be resilient. Um, because as much as there's a lot of un, unfair things that happen to us, discrimination, um, abuse, and many other things in life, but many times it comes down to us and how we feel about ourselves. Right. And, yeah, how we treat ourselves. Because, yes, no question about it, I used to self-sabotage a lot. I used to blame myself in so many ways for a lot of things that weren't my doing. But right. that's part of the subconscious mind is mm -hmm. that I hate myself. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not worth anything. Um, yeah, it was my fault. I did it. The abuse was me. It was just really programming what I was, uh, you know, what I was manipulated into believing from from the abusers and other people. Um, but and you just, many times you don't even know that that's what you're actually doing to yourself is internally hating yourself internally mm. and this is even part of feeling um disconnected with real life uh, and i remember feeling that way as a, as a teenager is that sometimes i used to have to stay in, in my classrooms during lunch times because no one wanted to play with me and i'd look out the windows and i'd see other kids with lots and lots of friends and i was really just confused as to why i didn't have much friends but little did i know is that i was withdrawing a lot from real life, from other kids, because I was just ashamed of being me because mm. of the abuse, because of the neglect and everything else. But, you know, when you're young, you're still just processing all that. But fast forwarding life, I know that, I know I've come to discover who the real me is. And that's definitely one thing that I would, would challenge um, everyone is to find the real you. Now, everyone is different. No two people are alike. And when I, even um, when I received my patriarchal blessing through church, when I was 17, that confirmed a lot of things about myself, that I was born to be different. Now, different, that word different has a lot of meanings. Um, when you're young, especially in your teenagers, you just want to be the same as others, right? And But yeah. you come to learn that you're not even the same as your family members and all and so therefore it's just part of what we come to discover seeking your own identity discovering yourself and so I came to learn that that for me um, some of my, my four passions in life uh, was sign language and, and it still is sign language learning helping others and also entrepreneurship Those and that's talents is that what you're saying correct yes yeah yeah and um and I'll, I'll focus on sign language for starters. It was around the time that I had my epilepsy and that I was also getting abused that I started learning sign language. Now, I'll explain this. Little did I know that the silent world, which is mostly for the language for deaf people, little did I know that that was my security blanket of going into a world that no one had to communicate with me verbally. No one, and I could be myself. And so that's how I learned sign language really fast because. I came to learn in life that I had a scar in my left brain. It was caused later on in life from when I had, had um, I fell downstairs as a baby. So I had to learn to use the right side of my brain that wasn't affected. And so that's more for creative thinking. Left side is for logical thinking. Right. That, that's how I used to struggle with reading, struggle with learning, even just memorizing church scriptures and things like that. I just wanted to be the same as other kids. However, I just had to learn that I had to be me and discover who that me was and let the real me shine. And so that's how I started learning sign language class because I, I was using the right side of my brain more. And so I used to be really expressive when I used to do sing signing and sign language. And I used to be myself as open as you know, to, to people who could understand that language. But when it came to opening up verbally, I didn't know how. I didn't know that there was this invisible wall that was blocking me from being the real me, from being able to express myself. Because again, this comes down to a lot of shame, a lot of stigma. And mm. even just back then, especially we did, there weren't things as counsellors and even mental health topics and things like that was quite taboo still. I'm grateful, fast forward, I'm grateful that it's more spoken about these days. 
uh, more spoken about these days and uh, it's more open but there's still a lot of walls to put uh, to break still even just the fact of being able to be open you know with anyone rather than because I remember being told well you look fine to me you know but you know <laughs> can they see emotional scars can yeah. they see that you have depression because of what you've been through and even I didn't even know what post-traumatic stress disorder was but finally after going through the on and off counseling throughout my life um, I came to learn that um, such experiences that I was having of flashbacks of those memories, it was common for those who've been traumatized during their, in, in whatever way, especially through abuse. It even happens to those who have been to war and have experienced blood, violence, you know, deaths, etc., like that. And unfortunately, there's no shortcut to healing when you experience traumas and all however some of the best advice that i can have is again discovering yourself and the and for me part of my i'll say my epilepsy was part of my healing and this is what i mean so if after 23 years uh, there's a lot of i had a, a lot of uncontrolled seizures and three of them were near-death experiences so they were traumas in itself wow and so i had a lot to process when i was younger However, a lot of medications just didn't work for me at all. And so finally, my last option was having brain surgery. And so it took five years to go through the process to see if I even qualified for this left temporal lobectomy surgery, which I had. Now, I went through all the research and questions with my neuropsychologists, neurologists, doctors, everyone, to explain the risks and everything involved. But one of the things that was not explained, which they didn't even know, was that a lot of my memory would come back as part of my surgery. And so on the 7th of January, 2013, in Australia, when I was living in Australia, Brisbane, Australia back then, I had I followed my heart. And even though I had a lot of opposition about doing it because of the risks involved of losing vision, losing speech, um, even death, which is involved with all surgeries, after a lot of prayer, a lot of blessings, a lot of following my own heart and intu intuition for this, I proceeded with having my brain surgery. And um, I have to say, the power of miracles. I was out, I was out shopping four days after. <laughs> they explained that it normally takes up to six weeks to recover, but I got a bit bored lying in bed because I, I was released out of hospital very early. And I recovered very fast. And so I have to say it was like being born again. Awesome. Being born because I had a lot of limits to life. I couldn't drive. I couldn't swim because I could have drowned. I couldn't hold a baby because I could drop a baby. Mm -hmm. And then so this was after, a year after my son was born that I had the surgery. And so I, had, I was used to this life of um, not just epilepsy, but also abuse. And so going through this experience of being born again, more especially psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, I had to start trying out new things that I used to be limited to in life. I, so that meant, for example, I can start holding my baby. Now, this, this sounds like basic things, mm -hmm. but um, holding my baby without dropping him and, and also uh, even being able to drive a year later. And so going through the notions of this all, though, little did I know that I'd, a lot of my memory would be restored, and I mean memory, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. 
this was not explained to me when I was young. And so and that's what I mean by epilepsy being like a protector for me. A lot of my traumas I couldn't quite remember while I was going through all my seizures. I had approximately 2,000 seizures throughout my life. And little did I know is that it was kind of like helping to block it out. But there was also the cons to that as well, because after the surgery, <clears throat> a year later, after meeting up with my neuropsychologist, that I was getting these weird thoughts, weird memories, weird flashbacks. And I just thought it was just part of healing and that ought to eventually go away as part of the surgery. But no, it stayed with me for the past going on six years now. Even to the extent last year of reliving me taking my life as a teenager, which contemplated even doing the same thing now. And I've always been a, I've been a high achiever with setting up and running two businesses now. And I've been traveling the world this, this, these past two years since I set up the business. But somehow, psychologically, my emotions weren't connecting with my thoughts. I was still being very self-critical. A lot of the self-abuse, self-harm. And so I had to, I'll just say, face my demons. And I came to learn, even on a spiritual basis, that sometimes you have to go back in order to move forward. Right. You have to unfortunately relive your past in order to fully let it go and fully close that chapter of life. And so even though it took me five years to do this, and even being spiritually prompted to to open up and, and uh, open up to the police about it because I still recall all those inner voices. Don't you dare tell anyone. You did it. You're wrong. You know, all the psychological abuse. Yes. That's what the demons that I was facing was more self, self battles, emotional battles, because that's part of what's known as like the inner child that never had time to process and heal from that child abuse. And it's very common for those who have experienced this. However, I had to really question myself, is this what I want to feel like for the rest of my life? Right. Is this, is this being the real me? And I knew all along it wasn't. And so after a lot of prayers and studies and even on a spiritual basis, I went and sat outside the New Zealand temple. Um, and this was about in September a few months ago, last year, 2018, I went and sat, sat down sat, sat down outside the New Zealand temple, even though it's been renovated and it's closed for a few years, but I had to purposely get out of what I'll consider my drag of being busy. Being busy had blocked out a lot of these hurts. And I thought that being busy was a good thing. I'm working hard, I'm getting an education, and so on and so on, but... Little did I know that it was like my drag of blocking out a lot of my past hurts, which was really festering up inside. It was affecting me psychologically. It was affecting me emotionally. So I had to humble myself, truly. And I had to humble myself and, and learn to be still. There was that hymn that I was listening to for a long time, Be Still My Soul. Mm -hmm. And that it was while I was listening to that song outside the New Zealand temple that it came to surface that I had to open up to the police. I had to be still. And for now, what was considered priorities in life, I had to put aside and I had to go back and face my demons and open up to police about this abuse. And honestly, um, that was just like, 
just brought back a lot of my fears and anxieties that I had prior to my brain surgery with epilepsy. But this was more like an emotional, psychological surgery. Were you attacked by family or friends verbally for doing that? For opening up to the police? Yes. Yes, I was. Yes, um, because according to our Māori culture, you just don't talk about it. There's this, I'll just say, excuse that it's disrespecting your ancestors if you do talk about it. But I'll have to say on a spiritual basis, I even had an experience of my grandmother who was also abused as well. She visited me and she told me to what's called kikaha. That means be strong. Don't listen to other noises. But she challenged, you know, I felt that strong spirit to do it, to do it, to open up. And this is not just for me. This is not just for my own healing, but this is for future generations to come. And this is break the cycle. Correct. This breaking what I had promised to do when I was a kid uh, of not just breaking cycles of like sexual abuse, but even psychological abuse, mm-hmm. emotional abuse, and so on. And so I followed my, my heart for this and I called up the police here in New Zealand. And a, 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 an appointment was made for me face to face a few days later. And it was for hurtful hours and for hurtful hours, and I was really, um, I was just psychologically uh, affected from this all to even open up, but especially it's just part of facing fears in life. In ways, it's just, you're so used to living in fear that, and and I just didn't know fully what the outcome would be because my abuser that threatened me and a lot of family members is still alive. In fact, he only lives about an hour away from where I stay. And so therefore, I was reliving the threats of, you know, being killed, you know, you know, being threatened to have, you know, him knock at my door and and with a gun or a knife or anything and all. However, I had to really use my heart as my my brain and I went and opened up to the police and it was thorough questions of everything from where he touched me from describing the home to other people that were present so it was very so therefore it was like reliving those traumas and I tell you now it was like it was just happening then and even after I um, had opened up to the police that day I had an emotional breakdown Um, so much that I had to really I had to, you know, I had to shut myself in my room and even my six-year-old son was wondering what was going on. But you, uh, you can, with children, you can not say things verbally, but they can read your emotions. And so some of the notes that he wrote me like, I love you, mum, in New Zealand words. Please don't go. I love you forever. They were like my like medicine to the soul that maybe Christian internally is life worth living. You know, is life worth everything that I'm going through type mode. But hearing it from my own my own child's words, even written wise, it life is worth living. Not just for ourselves personally, but for my, my boy, no question about it. When I was pregnant with him, 
I was going through my own same battles. And I was really strongly um, prompted that I was being sent an angel, uh-huh. a little angel to comfort me, to heal me. And even like through the past six years, even when they don't know it, a lot of answers to prayers, a lot of comfort is sent through our children. And it's like we're the big kids ourselves as parents, as uh-huh. adults. And it takes a lot of humility to accept this as reality. But just hearing that every day I love you from my son, that every day I love you forever, every day even I'm sorry, and a lot of things. Now, no question about it, I know that he's experienced a lot of the pain with me. However, such a thing as opening up to the police, it's been like this big burden has been lifted off my shoulders opening up. And it took me having to unfortunately go to, um, here in New Zealand, the um, Henry Bennett Hospitals, which is for those who are going through mental health challenges. Now, I know deep down inside, I'm a good person. I'm not a person that's been caught up in drugs and whatever like that. I've never been that person. But it took a lot of humility with friends um, because I could tell that I was having a, just, I was just reliving traumas when I, after I opened up to police. And so, one of my friends, good friends that thought it would be just an overnight thing of going to hospital, she just said, yes, yeah, go, go to the hospital. But little did I know that here in New Zealand as part of the Mental Health Act that I had to be there for a minimum of 14 days. But I take that as experience as a really good healing experience because no question about it, day one, I don't want to be here. This is not for me, not fair that I have to be here and be around all these, I'll just say, weird people. <laughs> that's just that was just me being rebellious me i don't want to be here that's just me however i came to learn that that those types of hospitals was a bit like a, a retreat it didn't look like a normal hospital there were games to play yoga meditation art sports and so a lot of my, my friends that came to visit me, a lot of them felt like they felt like being there themselves too. And you know, <laughs> I mean, we all have our times in life where we need a break in life, true? Right. Yeah. And so little did I th- discover that this was like a blessing in disguise for me to learn to slow down, sleep. Now, most of my life I've had trouble sleeping now little did I realize that that was a problem because I thought that I was just a night owl and that I could get away with just like five six hours sleep every night but little did I realize that it was just part of the effects of what I've been through and so therefore even under I'll say medical professional eyes they got me back into the routine of sleeping better they got me back into the routine of breathing relaxation yoga now if you come to think of it we all need this right yes and so this was part of like being born again emotionally psychologically and so yeah and so therefore i learned to find myself again and part of that self-discovery was i started feeling feelings again now this is hard to explain but this was part of letting down my emotional wall again and starting to allow feelings back into my life by opening up to the police and getting that negativity, that big feeling of guilt, self-blame, etc., out of me and putting the accountability on the real person. 
And so just that experience of, of uh, in hospital, really, I found that as a big blessing in disguise because what I ended up doing was the real me started to come back again. Even from day two, you know, it's hard, you know, hard to receive service and blessings, but it takes, you know, that was my time of being humble and accept that I needed help. And so getting flowers sent to me, chocolates and even being visited from friends that I even just psychologically, I many times I used to feel like I didn't have friends. You know, I just felt like an unwanted person most of my life. But many times we get blinded by our own mentalities, our own self-sabotage. And also I had to come to allow feelings back, back into my life. Um, not just, you know, to not necessarily just negative feelings, but positive feelings as well. I came to realize that I'd shunned out a lot of people's love and care and support because I was also protecting myself from all the abusive experiences from the past. I didn't know that, but that's just part of this invisible war that goes up. So now that I've been going through the motions of what I've just done, you know, I've learned to slowly but surely drop my gut at the same time, still keeping myself safe and also choosing friends wisely and all, but also allowing myself to be loved. And this is all part of self-care, self-love, self-respect and self-confidence. And also, this is what I mean again by being born again and finding myself again. Like what I did many times, we have to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. We've heard that a lot before. But if we want to fast forward after that uh, opening up to the police experience and having a fortnight, I personally I got to actually uh, discharge from the hospital early because I, here I was, helping all, all the, you know, cafe people <clears throat> clean tables. I was giving away roses to all the women there. I was giving away my chocolates and sharing them around. I was teaching sign language. I was being me. And even a lot of the visitors and even nurses were asking, um, yeah, so asking if I'm a nurse or a doctor. And, hey, I don't mind being called that. So yeah. They were saying, you don't look like a patient. I said, well, technically... <laughs> what do you think a, t- a patient should look like? It's because, yeah, I was wearing my everyday clothes and I was going to church. I was being, you know, things like that. And so therefore I was just being, so a lot of people thought that I was actually just a visitor or a worker there and all. And so therefore it's interesting the type of stereotypes that people think those who, you know, go to, you know, mental health hospitals and all things. But rather than just being a visitor there, I got to learn from firsthand experience what it's like to be a patient there. And I was giving a lot of sound counsel to even patients who were even trying to take their lives in in the hospital there because a lot of them had experienced domestic violence or abuse and traumas as well. So I could either play victim mode all my life or I could swap hats and turn it around and start reaching out and helping others. So that's what I've started doing since is that I've opened up more. And if this could help, like even just face... um, uh, face-to-face helping others that were in the hospital with me to turn their lives around and feel positive about themselves and and uh, accept the fact that it wasn't their fault what they've been through and that they are just as, as priceless and just as worthy as any other person. No one gets, no one loses their own worth and all. That's more ourselves. And all. we are all just as worthy and special as any other person in, in life. And really, if we come to think about it, whether you experience domestic violence or mental health hospital experiences or anything, we are all going through our own battles in life. We are all going through our own challenges. And like how it was for me, life is like a seizure. 
I never once stayed on the ground during my seizures. I had to learn to be resilient and get back up. And so that's what I've especially learned throughout this even emotional seizures, psychological battles of life, is that I've had to learn to be resilient and pick myself up again each time I've fallen. Coming to realize that we all make mistakes as well. Right. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of like some of the most important messages that I've been sharing since opening up, and a lot of people have opened up um, to me as well. Um, because I'm not a person, after also wanting to gain respect from other people and accepting me for who I am, I need to walk my talk and do the same as well. And yeah, right. more people have hey, been up. A, a question, Adele. It sounds like you're saying also that serving others helped you in your healing process. Yes, it did, big time. But it, it was really a mix of one, first of all, um, apart from loving God, is love yourself in order to love others. Now, no one is ever going to be 100% healed or perfect, uh, maybe into the next life. But like what I was, uh, when I was in hospital, uh, I was even going through a general conference talk um, from Alda Anderson, I believe, called Wounded. And many times we ourselves as wounded people are the right tools to help others that are wounded. Even such things like being able to emotionally connect. Now, some people, they can't even verbally connect with us because they just don't know what to share. They're not in always, no one's in the right, um, some people are just not in the right headspace to know what to say to describe themselves. And I remember being like that too. But from my own personal experiences, I was able to connect with people emotionally. And I could read behind their body language. I could read behind their simple words. Such things like feeling like they didn't want to be loved, they didn't want me to talk and whatever. But even just the experience of having listening ears, that's loving people themselves. Now, listening, it's so simple these days that it's so hard to do for the average people. I'll share that from experience. Um, that a lot of people think that ministering and serving is something physical like helping people move or baking muffins or something but many times these days with what we've experienced a lot of people just need listening not just right. with the ears but especially listening with your heart right. listening with charity listening without judging and all and so that's what I from my own experience I've learned to do is to just listen and many times don't even talk just be there that's all someone needs so that they can go through the thick of their storms and normally especially when we will just say in a, in a pictorial form when this when the storm starts to pass that's when you, your head starts to clear a bit more and you can start seeing a bit of sunlight in your life and that's when people will look back and you know and uh, let you know that they're really grateful for you just to be just being able to say so be by their side and listen to them while they're going through their experiences in life and we all change hats many times where we are the receiver the, the one that's um receiving service or giving service we all change hats and it is you know as we commonly know it's harder to receive service than it is to give it's just something that a lot of us are brought up with in terms of society that's true and, yeah and just it's like it seems like a guilty thing to accept people's help mm -hmm. but I share from experience that many times people just want you to be there. Mm. You don't need to solve their problems because no one can actually solve it for us. No one can get in our skin and, and you know, brains and actually read and go through the experiences that we have. But if people can actually just be there to know that life is worth living, mm -hmm. that we're a 
good person, that I'm a good person, and so is everyone else. That that um, also there's so many people that are that are in need of just hearing real life experiences, not just general talk. And I mean general talk as in um, just basic things, but some people just really kind of need the, the specific details of such things like, how can we help others? Well, listen without judging. Don't say anything yeah, or anything. Sometimes it's basically um, even just being, being understanding and just letting the person know that you're there when you need them. And right. all. Yeah, and that's how people I've noticed have opened up more. And the same thing with myself. And all. If, you are, if your heart is there with what you're saying and what you're doing, people feel your words right. even more than, than hearing your words. So that's talk right. your heart. Talk with their heart. And that's how I've started to be with sharing more of my experiences to reach out to help and minister and inspire others to go for gold, to discover yourself, to let yeah. your real, real self shine. And that is a lifetime of learning. Yeah. I'm still learning that myself. But part of me, I've learned that in order to keep on healing, um, so you continue to grow, especially I need to open up with people more to share and help and reach out. Otherwise, I'll only go back. Right. So my passion of helping others is really helping myself uh, right. in a positive way. And so it's a win-win for both. If, if, if right. Even just this can help one person to, to, you know, to avoid taking their life, to help get, you know, challenges like suicide rates down mental health rates down, domestic violence rates down, if this can even change one person's life like how it has mine, then that's a win in itself. A win and for me in terms of um, helping others, a win for others in terms of discovering themselves again to, to get educated that life is worth living and that they are of worth. And so that's basically the moment. my main message that I'd like to share with other people too is discover yourself and go for gold. Be your real, genuine self. I liken life to to a, to a pair of glasses. That the frame of the glasses is like your values and beliefs, and the pieces to the puzzle are like your um the the uh, all the different experiences that you go through in life. Now the negative pieces, like what we've you know I just explained, that can block you and get in your way. It's like you're wearing dark shades all your life, just walking around in darkness and shame and bitterness all yes. the negative negative things in life and you don't even know that you're doing that but from experience of opening up of leaving home when i was 15 of helping others of going to the gym and exercising doing yoga doing meditation gardening and these are all the different pieces to my puzzle that i've, I've had to discover for myself and so being able to start putting on the, you know, clear glasses of being able to see through and beyond things that I can't change in life, because I'll always have my experiences of my traumas in life, but being able to see past those experiences and seeing the positives of life, being able to change negatives into the positives, right? Into, into positives and seeing above and beyond just what you can't do today, because I know some people that can't even get out of bed. Um, yeah, it's, you know, lack of motivation, lack of self-esteem. But even what helped me when I was going through those few odd times after I opened up to police was listening to general conference talks, listening to TEDx talks, motivational talks, and so on. So that helped me to, it starts with the mind, it starts with the heart. And so that's the same thing with, with each and every one of us. We need to discover ourselves about what works, because what works for some, like me, might not work for others. Right. It could be exercise. 
It could be driving, it could be dancing. We all so discover ourselves and let your true self shine. And so let me uh, recap a, a second. Uh, towards the beginning, you talked about um, breaking the cycle. And um, I understand based on what you said that breaking the cycle for you was a choice. It was choices that you made um, that you didn't want to be like them or whoever them is, you know, like abusers. And so it was a choice and you lived your life following that choice by making better decisions. Though you were pulled out of school all the time and not really getting an education, you self-educated, is that right? Because you're very educated now, I know that. Yes, that is correct. What I actually did was I actually um, stayed through all, all high school and I actually got accepted into college, university through special entrance because I was having trouble just even thinking straight during exams at high school, etc. But right. teachers, they could see that I was a really hard worker. And I, I had the heart to do a lot of things. And I was always, this, and I always am being this ambitious person to go for gold. And that's where my passions of entrepreneurship has come. And so altogether, since going through those high school experiences, I've received three degrees as well as many other, many other courses, special education, sign language and business. And so that's how I've been able to um, not just gain education, but, but also most important is executing and putting it into practice what you learn. Um, yes, and life is, is forever um, learning as well, and I do get really excited when I learn of new different things, even just this, I've started attending motivational speaking, uh, Toastmasters workshops to deal with public speaking, because I used to have what's called social phobia, anxiety, I used to hate leaving the home, I used to dread going out into public, and I used to have panic attacks and experiences like that when you know, throughout my teens and 20s. Mm -hmm. However, this is part of the psychological thing of overcoming fear and getting out of my own way so, so you went out of your way to um overcome your fears by joining a group um like toastmasters so that you could share with others um your experiences and overcome your fear of talking about it right correct that's right that's yeah dealing with um that's part of finding myself again uh, yeah uh, and this is something if i if i hadn't been through what i've been through i probably would have done so um early on in life um, however, there's no, life is not a race and there's, you know, age is just a number. I'm going to keep reminding myself and all, and uh, it's just, and, and that's kind of even still something that I still challenge, find challenging to this day is this thing of comparing myself with others. Cause I always did that throughout my teens and twenties due to my traumas. I just wanted to be like any other normal kid, but you come to learn no one is the same. We all have different values. We all have different upbringings and experiences. Right. So it's just, this is part of discovering me of being a person that wants to reach out and help others through my words, through my yeah. experiences to lift others as well as myself. And that's just part of my, my other passions of helping others. Yeah, me too. And I, I kind of think that um, when we're in the thriver mode of um, domestic violence, um, which is past the victim and survivor mode, we tend to want to reach out to other people to help them um, so that they don't have to go through what we went through. Yeah. That being said, I really like your, um, your behavioral mod, uh, uh, what is it, the, the mental, um, the place that you went, what's that called? Oh, the Rebenet Mental Health Hospital. 
Yes, the hospital. We call it BMED here. I don't know what it's called everywhere else. But I love the idea that they had yoga and they had baseball. And yeah, you know, the physical aspect is so very important. And I'm going to have to go visit ours and see if that's what is offered there as well. Did it have classes as well for um, to help you psychologically? Okay, everything from psychologists to counseling to meals being made for you to roses and chocolates every day. So, oh, hold uh, on. Chocolates every day? Man, <laughs> yeah. I'm so in there. <laughs> My visitor friends were saying, goodness, I can do with this myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, particularly what, what they assumed as a hospital was so, and this is just part of reality, is that many times we don't know what we don't know. Right, right. And so same with people making a lot of assumptions of what mental health is, of what you know, traumas are, we don't know what we don't know and only right. can tell. And so even so sharing that first experience experience of being in hospital, it's like I can share with others that really it's nothing to be ashamed of at right. all. Because hey, if you want all your meals made for you or you know, or your you know, wow. to, a lot of things that in everyday life you don't have the time for. And that's part of self neglect, which a lot of us these days with society of busy, busy life, busy, busy yeah. work even if you're not into the drugs or alcohol or whatever but many times oh i need to pay the bills or i need to put food on the table or i need to this this and this and this is many times it's part of even self-harm is overworking over right. um and all and, and i know that over the past month with a lot of us reflecting on um new year's resolutions end of the year what worked well last year what didn't work etc all in all that comes down to you only you can can make your choices. You just like the analogy that I use of, of being that you are the author of your own story, your own life stories. Right. Yes, the past is the past, and there are different things which were unwanted and all. But with like what I see, closing that chapter of life of, of abuse now, in all ways, I'm I'm right. I'm the author of my own uh, next story of life. Right. And so make it a good one. Make it a positive right. one. Hmm. Now, um, it, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but part of your, um, if I remember correctly, part of your healing process was talking to your abuser or uh, approaching them or letting them know that you forgave him. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. That's what happened recently, uh, three weeks ago. And all, I, was, I, was, I admit that I was more calm about this, and I'm not saying it was easy, but I was more calm because I felt like a lot of it had already been dealt with when I opened up to the police. Right. The fact that that information was out was like, I'll just say, it was like I was sober again, I'll just say. <laughs> um, I could start to think clearer. I could start yeah. to feel feelings again. And that was part of the inner me healing, inner child me healing. Yeah. Now, in terms of dealing with the actual real person, I took another person with me just to be safe. And um, yes, when we got there, I noticed that he was in the garage. And so I more went to his doorstep because there was another person there with him. And immediately I noticed one of my artwork that was on his wall. I didn't even know how we got it, but he got it and it was there. And so that kind of made me feel a bit connected uh, because it's something to talk about <laughs> type yeah. thing. Um, however, it didn't take long before we were, us, the four of us were there. 
and I explained my purpose, my kaupapa as we call it, of uh, why I was there and it was more for me. Me yeah. dealing with my own experiences and it was not for anyone else, not for him. I wasn't even expecting any words out of anyone. It was for me. Oh. No one forced me to do it. I was mm -hmm. following again my own intuition that okay. I was with um, not long after I opened up to police that there was just one more thing that needed to be done. And that was to um, tell the person that I'd forgiven him. And so that's what happened after we opened up with a prayer. I let my heart talk. And in a few words, I had mentioned that what I just shared, that I was there for me, for my own healing. And that even though I had experienced what I'd experienced, both as a witness of abuse as well as a receiver of abuse, that um, the main important words that I had to share with him was that I forgive you to him. And there was a bit of silence. And so I brought it up. Really, that's the main message that I wanted to share with you. Is there anything that you would like to share with me that I need to know? And sorry, this was actually, um, I actually said that, sorry, after, before I said that, I actually stood up and asked him, can I hug you? And that was a big thing for me after what I had experienced physically with him. But yes. I finally felt the feelings to do so. Oh, good. And so we, and so I followed my own heart for this. And because I wasn't, by then, I wasn't thinking about my safety and all. I just wanted to show that physically, emotionally, in all ways, I had forgiven him. Right. And so, and so when I went back to sit down, that's when I opened up and asked him, is there anything that you wish to share with me at all? Anything. Is there anything that I have a right to know? Anything. Right. And that was a time when, yes, he opened up about especially if he, he he mentioned that if he he could reverse time he would take a lot of it back what he had done because even at the moment there's a lot of his own immediate family members that haven't spoken to him for years um that have taken their lives suicide some are in jail some are just don't talk to him anymore and so therefore it has in ways as i say let nature talk let real life talk. It's just basically what goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the only one that was affected. So I was more just dealing with my business. But in saying that, yeah, he said in his own words, even with what him and I had experienced, is that if, if he could reverse time, he would. However, uh, the past is in the past. And so we just ended up having, I'll say, a few natural conversations, all four of us by then. And then we said a, a prayer to close it off and to close, for me, psychologically, emotionally, close that chapter of life. And so when I was um, driving back home, I actually wasn't driving, my other friend was, but I was just processing what I had actually experienced. Just like how it was when I was processing what I'd actually experienced when I was being abused, I was actually processing what I actually experienced of letting go of that abuse, of forgiving the person and moving on with life. Because there's no just straight, oh, okay, I forgive him. There's no yeah. way of magic wand experience for anything. Even just that experience of, even though I had verbally said so, it was more actually processing what I had actually said and done. And so it's, um, and so therefore, just reflecting on it now for the past few weeks, no question about it, I feel like I have closed that chapter of life. And that's only something that 
each individual needs to work out and experience for themselves. Right. For me, opening up to the police and also even opening up to my abuser, no question about it, it took a lot of courage and um, tenacity and resilience to do so. Um, if I was still going through the experience of having seizures daily, etc., I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been ready. But I felt like now was my time, okay. and that's what each of us need to discover: when and why and how. And because my way again might not be the same way for someone else. It could be just a big prayer and letting it go emotionally, or it could be. Um, that person, the abusive person, for a lot of people who have, been, who have experienced domestic violence and all, their abuser has already passed away. And so it could be an experience of going to the cemetery or it could right. be, you know, a, an emotional experience, each to their own. But that's right. part of, again, finding ourselves. Right. After all, lost ourselves. So that's just part of me. I'm forever still, still putting my puzzle pieces together of life. I'm adore, and that's a lifetime of learning. However, I feel like um, I'm, I'm feeling feelings again. And I even noticed that what I used to do, like shouting and all at my son, I noticed that I'm shouting um, because this is just part of the subconscious mind. When you're raised with being yelled at all your life, you don't even know that you're naturally doing it yourself. Right. That's what you're used to. I'm not right. excusing that behavior at all. Right. But you can start connecting yourself emotionally again. You notice the negatives and the positives more. Right. It's, um, again, it's just like becoming sober again. You can start to think better, feel feelings better. You can start right. being your true self better and right. so on. It's part of finding and discovering. You know, really grateful for it all. Yeah. Okay, and you said finding yourself. What would you suggest people do to help them find themselves? Look at um, what they do best because you said you focused in on your talents. Uh, yes, well, part of my therapy, apart from the spiritual experiences, is that I also even got what's called, um, apart from counselling, I also got what's called emotion code therapy. Okay. So that helped me to unblock emotions. And so that's helped me to reconnect with my real feelings again. Okay. And so that's helped the real me to come out again and so on. And so that's the, even that's the same with, us, uh, with yourself. If this is my own personal advice, is to go to the types of therapy that you need. Um, and, it, and, it, and that's a, high, a big recommendation, which is what I'm training to do at the moment, is emotion code therapy training to help to reconnect with your emotions again and be the real you again, getting rid of, rid of the negatives and replacing it with positives. Yes, and therapists um, have a lot of different methods. So probably going to a therapist that you get along well with and see if they would use emotion code or EMDR. There's uh, so many different play therapy. There's so many different ones out there. Correct. Or play, I guess it's called. And yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, that's excellent. But you know what? What impresses me the most about you is share with everybody um, how successful you are in life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's part of facing my fears and replacing it with faith. Yeah, replace fear with faith. And so, all the negatives, discover yourself and replace it with positives. That's the best advice I can give here. Right. And all is part of discovering yourselves that we deserve what's best. Discover yourself and go for gold. Right, go for gold. 
Okay, and but also share with us like um, how many businesses do you have? At the moment, I'm running two, but bear in mind this is a whole team here of staff yeah. here. And part of paying it forward is providing employment and education for people in different ways. And yeah. all. So many times, and I share this from experience, it's just like those who have experienced prison, which I haven't, but many times ex-prisoners are the best to help those in prison. Yeah. Same with those that have been through abuse, and it takes courage to do so, of course, that those who can share experiences, not just theory, not just information, but experiences are the best educators for those who are overcoming um, different challenges in whatever way. Because again, this is where heart-to-heart -heart connections come in. People right. actually connect emotionally and they get drawn because you can relate to what they're experiencing. Right. And yeah, many times we can, be, uh, we can be the medicine to other people's, other people's challenges. Very true. But what so impresses me is you were pulled out of school, you were abused significantly as a child, and uh, pulled out of school constantly, so hard to get a primary education based on that. So, but you self-taught, you went to college, you have several successful businesses. I mean, not very many people, you know, text me from Scotland <laughs> when they live in New Zealand, you know. I mean, you know, and I, I guess next year it's Nairobi, or where is it next year? Ethiopia? Ethiopia. Korea. Yeah. I mean, just amazing. You have done so much with so much going against you. It's unbelievable. It's like, you know what, when you put your mind to it, it's unstoppable. As long as you work towards finding who you are, um, putting that into action yes. and making something of yourself. Yes, definitely. That's definitely what I've been sharing with others. And that's what, um, is basically Zig Ziglar's quote, take pride in how far you've come and have faith in how far you can go. Yeah. And you broke the cycle. I mean, it's, I mean, it, you've done so much. I'm so impressed with you. That's why I wanted to talk to you and, and have you on and everything you I mean just I, I'm just so amazed at all that you've done and you even addressed your abuser I won't do that <laughs> we're all different like what I said do their own what's you only do what's best for you yeah like, I had to agree it might be just a puzzle piece that not doesn't fit your frame but right it fits fine yeah and I love your um, analogy with sunglasses. Uh, that was absolutely amazing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. That's all life's choices is based on our values and beliefs. And yeah. so that's especially what we need to assess for ourselves in order to find the right pieces that fit our puzzle. In other words, make choices daily that align with what we really, truly want to do. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, you have, you have just so impressed me. Anyway, I want to thank you so much for um, talking to me tonight and um, thanking you for letting us use your Zoom and recording on your Zoom. That was wonderful since okay. Skype's not working. <laughs> but anyway, so I want to thank you for all that and the example that you set for so many and um, everything that you do for domestic violence and victims and, um, and breaking the cycle. That's got to be the most difficult. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I know it's daytime there, but it's really yeah. late here. So I'm going to talk to you later. Okay, sweetie. Okay. Thank okay. You. Have a good night.
Bye-bye.